0: Almighty God, we want to thank you again that you are a God of grace, a God of blessing, that your purpose is to pour out your love on anyone who will trust in your Son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the great works you've done in the lives of the people that we've been hearing from this morning. And we pray that you would be at work in all of us now by your Spirit. Give us understanding uh, into these ancient words. But more than that, please meet with us as we study them and change our lives and our attitudes through them. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read them from Psalm 16, a miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption." You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I hope you want to keep that open. There's also an outline on the back of the notice sheet that will just uh, let you track along with where we're going. Um, I think it's a brilliant psalm for a, a baptism Sunday like this. It's a song of devotion and blessing. Um, So it starts with an expression of trust and commitment in God from King David. That sounds a lot like what we've been hearing from our friends this morning. And then it ends with a list of incredible blessings that God pours out on anyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever uh, you believe at the moment as you come to church today, I hope it will be of interest. Devotion tends to be something that we all admire in life. And a blessing is something that we all want, isn't it? We admire the devotion of those who dedicate themselves and sacrifice loads to achieve their personal goals, whether in academia or sport or business. We admire those who devote their energies to the good of others, uh, those who give years to caring for and nursing other people, often as they go through terrible suffering. We admire the devotion of faith when we hear it as we have this morning. So I'm all about devotion. And then just look at the quality of blessing on offer in that final sentence. We all know there is far too much death and sadness and pain in the world. So who wouldn't want to walk in the path of life and experience fullness of joy and enjoy pleasures forevermore? And what we're going to learn in these few moments from Psalm Sixteen is that through his son, Jesus, God is willing to give abundant blessing to people, people like us, even if, like me, you've failed to be as committed to God as David says he wants to be here in the psalm. Two main headings as we think about it. First, complete devotion to the Lord, complete devotion to the Lord, which is pretty much the first half. Devotion's a strong word, isn't it? I don't know if there's any one, anything in your own life that you're devoted to at the moment, but almost every line in this first half of the psalm is a, an expression of undivided commitment to God. We'll just work through them briefly. So, verse one: um, the author, King David, is looking to God alone for security, isn't he? He prays, "Preserve me, O God, for in You I take refuge." And it's good to trust in God in a time of crisis, but David doesn't seem to be going through any crisis here. It's not some big drama. He's just entrusting himself to God's daily care. Um, Also, God promises to keep and to preserve his people. And David's saying, I'm not looking for security in my own strength or in my riches. I'm not trusting in human solutions. I'm not trusting in the the idols of the world. You, God, are the one in whom I am taking refuge. You are my fortress and shelter. So please keep me as you've promised to do. Then uh, Second Zenith verse 2, David says to the Lord, You are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. Not security, but satisfaction. You're not just the Lord. Do you notice he he says, you are my Lord. And the sense is that that you're everything that I want. Uh, Psalm 73 says, whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. And that's David here. Again, we're reminded um, maybe of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. He says, to live is Christ. Not to live is Christ and material prosperity, or Christ and personal success, or Christ and a brilliant relationship. Just Christ. I count everything else is lost, he says, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing him. And then because David delights in the Lord, he delights in his people as well. That's verse three. As for the saints in the Lord, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So he's drawn to people of integrity and goodness. He delights in those who follow the Lord. They're his tribe. They're his people. They're his family. David delighted in the Lord's people. And then look at verse 4. It's maybe the flip side. The, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take on their names on my is the flip side of devotion, isn't it? If you um, go to a wedding, a couple promises not only to be faithful to each other, but also to forsake all others. They're two sides of the same coin. And David's surrounded by people who are happy to say that they love the Lord when it suited them, but then equally happy to join in with the worship of other gods at the same time. Um, We'd be in a similar position. All around us, people are living for, for other things than God. Prosperity, success, fame, pleasure, personal image. And David is saying that devotion to the Lord involves actively repudiating all of those other gods whilst being true to the one true God. Some Christians in the New Testament are described as turning away from idols, to serve the living and true God. And David um, looks over the the fence, if you like, at the fate of people who don't follow God, but who who chase after the gods of the world. And he announces emphatically, that's not the direction I want to walk in. He, He says, the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply it so it's a direct echo of the the curse that God pronounced on Eve back in Genesis 3 and David's reminding himself of biblical truth if I turn my back on God he will turn his back on me and that's not how I want to relate to God I want his favor and not his frown and therefore I'm going to stand apart from everything else that people worship and live for and I'm going to be undivided In my love for the Lord. Then verse 5 builds on the commitment of verse 2. As you see it, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I don't know what you like at making decisions. Maybe you sit there in your, your average restaurant and you can't decide what to eat. Do you go kind of foie gras and Chateaubriand or do you go pizza and nuggets? Choices can be difficult for some of us. David is saying, I've made my choice and I am sticking to it. The Lord is what I choose in life. He is my everything. And that that devotion is meant to be a a benchmark for the rest of us. Um, One commentator says this radical God-centeredness is not extravagant piety, but simple obedience. Because God had told his people to love him with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And David's saying, I will. That's who I am. That's where I want to be. Uh, Verse 6, again, something similar as we rush through this. um, David says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a a beautiful inheritance. Uh, That inheritance isn't earthly and physical, as though David was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He wasn't. It's spiritual. There's a time back in Numbers when God says to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land Neither should you have any portion among them. I, God, am your portion. I am your inheritance. And David's deliberately echoing those words here. The the inheritance in which he's delighting is God himself. God had given himself in love to David and his people. And David's saying, that's all I need. Uh, There were times in his life when he had plenty. Times in his life when he was homeless and on the run. And he's saying, you're everything I need. You're my inheritance. So, a Puritan writer called Andrew Gray who once wrote, without Christ, the most stately palace is hell. With Christ, the most stinking dungeon is a palace. And David says, the Lord is my chosen portion. I wonder what you make of um, hearing someone get that excited about God. It it can be hard for some of us to relate to, I think. We can be happy for them, I guess. But at the same time, it feels maybe a bit odd to us that someone should be that single-minded. Isn't it over the top? A a guy and a student here a couple of years ago got a a letter from a friend. Um, that was almost an intervention. She said, we, the, the friendship group, we're all really worried That your best friend in the whole world is someone you can't see or touch. Why is it that you're so invested in God? And There's there's loads that you could say in response to that question. but, But part of the answer is to stop and think about who God is. Because the level of commitment that he deserves is directly proportional to the worth of his being. The level of commitment that he deserves is directly proportional to the worth of his being. If he's just a a figment of the imagination of the guys getting baptized this morning. Or if he's just a slightly bigger and better version of us. It would be crazy to look to him for security and satisfaction in life. To worship him exclusively. It would be nuts. They should be locked up. But if God is real... And this is the way he's presented to us in the Bible, infinite, eternal, unchanging in wisdom and power and holiness and justice and goodness and truth. The creator and the sustainer of everything that is light, he is love, he is Lord and he gave his only son as we've been hearing in order to ransom for himself a people from every tribe and language and nation. There is no one like him. There never could be. We could go on about it for days. But it is because of who he is that he is worthy to receive all power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And so David is a picture of someone who's, who's relating to God in the way that we all should all of the time. Single-minded, wholehearted, fully-orbed devotion to the Lord who is worthy. My confession, though, is still, as much as I admire that devotion in David, it makes me feel slightly uncomfortable. Um, is the the feeling I get when I play golf with someone who is genuinely talented. Most of the time, I try and play with people who are about my standard or a bit worse so that I can feel good about myself. It's an excellent tactic in life. But if you play with someone who has actual talent and has practiced enough to make the game look easy, it is dispiriting. Because you might admire how good they are, but then you think, well, I could never do that. And that's how I feel about David. If God only pours his blessing out on people who are this devoted to him, then I am up the proverbial creek. Thankfully, though, my failure is not the end of the story. And as we've been hearing this morning, God has provided a way For people like us to receive the blessings that we're about to hear about, even though we haven't given to him the devotion that it describes. David is God's king. Whenever you meet him in the Bible, he's a picture of God's greatest king, the forever king, Jesus, who came a few hundred years later. Even David didn't live up to what he writes in Psalm 16, but Jesus did. That the true, the, the first and only person who ever loved the Lord consistently with all of his heart, mind, soul and strength. He chose the Lord as his portion and his cup all day, every day. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And even when he was reviled and even when he suffered, he continued to entrust himself to God And remained obedient to him, even to the point of death on the cross. And because Jesus lived like that, and died like that, in undivided devotion to God. And because he was doing it, the Bible says, on behalf of, or for, or in the place of, sinners. People like me, who aren't as devoted to God as we should be then it is possible for anyone who trusts in him to experience the wonderful blessing that we're just about to read about. It's the second point on the sheet. We've had complete devotion to the Lord, now abundant blessing from him. I'm just going to read it through, 7 to 11. Make a mental note as I do with you of the, the different blessings and registered, these are things that God is willing to pour out on you if you would trust in Him. Verse 7 I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And you'll see on the sheet I jotted down wisdom, strength, life, joy, and pleasure. So verse 7 is about wisdom. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. Um, I made a a list on a bit of paper as I was preparing of different areas of my life in which I am aware of my need for wisdom. Um, It's quite a long list. Here's some edited highlights. Um, Trying to be a better person. Maybe you've got that down. I, I need help with that. Um, trying to be a better husband, trying to be a better father in particular, Um, knowing how to care for parents as they get older, being a a faithful minister of the gospel, Um, doing a good job at supporting other ministers in their work, trying to be a good boss, Um, trying to be a faithful friend to people here in St. Andrews and people all around the world that I know with various needs, Um, how to care best, for people in our church, how to walk alongside victims of abuse, how to be a good steward of all that God has given me, how to plan for retirement. I mean, I could go on and on and on. We all need wisdom in life. The fool, says the Bible, is the one who is wise in their own eyes. Who better to give us counsel in life than the maker of life the one in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge Um, David prayed elsewhere teach me your way that I may walk in your truth and God heard that prayer and so now David can bless the Lord for giving him counsel wisdom directly in his word and indirectly through his conscience As he meditated on that word day and night. And God's wisdom is given to us too in Christ. The Bible says he is our wisdom. He promised, uh, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Through um, James in the New Testament, God says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let them ask God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to them. The wisdom of God in your life is a wonderful blessing. So too is his strength. Verse 8 I've set the Lord before me always, because he's at my right hand, I'll not be shaken. In Bible times, the person at your right hand was your helper, your servant. And incredibly, that is a role here that God is taking to himself. Um, Sometimes you have the idea that that God is so big, so transcendent, so important. He couldn't possibly care about the, the details of our lives. But the Lord is near to his people, helping us day by day as we've been hearing. And so David says to God, you are the strength I draw on for life's journey. Because you're with me. I know that I'm eternally secure. Again, that's true of all of God's people. Our our life isn't built, Jesus says, on the sinking sand of popular opinion or wishful thinking or personal desire. Our life is built on the rock of Jesus Christ and his word so that when the wind and the rains come, we will never be shaken. And then it just keeps getting better from verse 9, doesn't it? Therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. So Sheol is the place of the dead. Um, Even here in the Old Testament, David has a deep confidence that somehow God's going to keep him when he dies. Uh, Not only will God be with him as he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, But even through death, David knows, without knowing fully how, that God's going to keep him. And then when the the New Testament writers quote this verse, which they do a lot, they they understand it to speak more fully of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Um, The Apostle Peter asks in a sermon, who's the one that verse 10 is talking about, the Holy One? It can't be David because he died and his body was laid in the grave and it stayed there. So it must have been talking about someone else, someone who would defeat death for real and forever. And that is what Jesus did. He wasn't abandoned to the grave. We thought about this on Easter Sunday, didn't we? He triumphed over it as he rose victorious and never to die again. And because he fulfilled those words, he is able to allow us to share in their blessing. So he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me even though they die yet shall they live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die it's been said all the world is a hospital and every person a terminal patient and the Scottish pastor Samuel Rutherford put it like this all that is here is condemned to die to pass away like a snowball before a summer sun. And we know that, and we've felt and, and heard of the pain of that even this morning. But there is nothing in the fact of death and nothing in the consequences of death that Christ has not already endured and overcome. And to be free from the fear of death is a wonderful thing. It is why Christians so often die so well. Uh, Oswald Chambers said, Our physical death is just God's delightful way of giving us life. It hurts so much, but it is the gateway to life forevermore with him. We've had wisdom, strength, life. Um, Complete the list in verse 11 with me. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's fulfilled in part now as Christians live in relationship with God and in his church and enjoy the good things he gives us. It won't be until we're with Jesus in his new creation that we experience the full reality of verse 11 in all of its glory. But it will be a great day when we do. Um, some of us were saying recently we grew up with an idea of heaven that it sort of felt as though we'd be floating around on clouds wearing togas and laurel wreaths and listening to angels playing harps or something. And you thought, well, it could wear a bit thin after a while. It wasn't all that attractive. But the the picture of verse 11 is on another level, isn't it? So many go through life on the hunt for the the limited joys and pleasures of this world and yet forsake the fullness of joy and the pleasure forevermore that God offers to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll see why I call them abundant blessings. This is the Puritan Richard Sibbs. Death is not now the death of me, but death will be the death of my miseries, the death of my sins. It'll be the death of my corruptions, but death will be my birthday, In regard of happiness. Three super fast implications. One, choose God. Choose God. That makes sense, doesn't it, after everything that we've seen? The sorrows of those who chase after other gods will multiply. Uh, They live exclusively in the realm of pain and death. In Christ, God makes known to us the path of life. In his presence, there is fullness of joy and at his right hand pleasures forevermore. It doesn't mean you have an easy life in this world. We've heard that. But to those who believe that God's ways are restrictive and outdated, that he gets in the way of human fulfillment and self-expression, I want to say God is the great giver. And he is the only source of abundant and eternal blessing. Choose God, like these folks who are getting baptized today. Second, praise God for for Jesus. This is the application every week here, if you haven't uh, noticed yet. He lived the perfect devotion, the life of perfect devotion that we've failed to live. He died the death that we deserve. If we believe in him, God includes us in his resurrection. And guarantees us life and joy forevermore. Of course we praise God for Jesus every week. And finally enjoy God. Um, To you guys getting baptized this morning. uh, To all here who follow Christ. I want to encourage us to take a moment to savor all that we have in him. I hope you guys will come back to Psalm 16 lots in the future. Days when life is hard and days when life is good. And savor everything that there is in Jesus. We we know there is a cost to going Jesus' way in our generation. We talk about it often. But following Jesus is the best decision that you could ever make. And so when we think about the abundance of blessing that is given to anyone who trusts in Christ... Doesn't it make you want to rededicate yourself to a life of undivided devotion to him? Enjoy him and choose him day by day. Let's pray together. Our Father, we've covered a lot of ground in a short amount of time. But the message is clear. You are so good to us. You are a God who loves to bless. And in your son, you've made it possible for us to know blessings beyond what we could ever dream of, far beyond what we deserve. And so we praise you for him. We rejoice in him. We want to savor and praise you for everything that we have in him. And everything that we will have when we're gathered with all of your people around your throne for all eternity. And we say we want to follow you, we want to choose you, that you are our portion and our cup, that we love you. And we want to trust in you and walk with you all of our days, that you are our everything. So help us please to love you as we should.